But in Judges chapter 6 and verse 1, once again, it says, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's a common refrain that occurs throughout the book. So I want you to think about this. Israel was unfaithful. I'm going to go ahead and put up this introduction slide. Israel was unfaithful. That was the action. God gave them over to their enemies, to their oppressors. That was the consequence. And then it says Israel cried out because of Midian. There's three points that we're going to talk about this morning. And I want us to notice verse 8 and what takes place there. And that's why I call this lesson a sermon before salvation. And then we'll talk about a change from within. And then we're going to talk about God's grace and repentance. But before we get right into all this, I want to ask you this question. Based upon the information that we have contained here in verses 1 through 10, and what we've seen previously in the book of Judges, how they become unfaithful, they are oppressed, and then they cry out. On this particular occasion, and John read this this morning, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they come from the east. And it says that they oppress Israel and they travel all the way to Gaza. That's on the coast. So from east to west, they move in and they strip the land and they leave no sustenance for Israel. And because they're oppressed, then Israel cries out because of the Midianites. So I want to ask you this question. Did they cry out because God was a meanie? <laughs> He's not protecting us? Did they cry out because the Midianites were meanies? Well, yeah, they were. Did they cry out because Israel was unfaithful? And why did they lose their stuff? The reason why they lost their stuff is because they were unfaithful. I want to ask you this other question. Why was Israel upset about this? Were they upset because they were losing their stuff? Or was Israel upset because they had been unfaithful to God and they were in danger of losing God? Correct answer is they were upset because they were losing their stuff. Now to help us understand what's going on here, and the reason why Israel is crying out is because Midian is taking everything. And the reason why they're upset is because they've lost all of their stuff. I want to give you this illustration. There's a man and a woman that were married for a number of years. After a period of years, they ended up getting a divorce. During the years in which they were married, the man was never faithful to the covenant, marriage covenant. He was unfaithful to his wife a number of times. Ultimately, it led to divorce. Later, when he was talking with some of his friends, he complained to them and he says, She took the house. 
I really liked that house. What's the problem? He never appreciated the person. He never appreciated the relationship. He regrets losing the house. But he doesn't consider repenting for his behavior. Israel regrets losing their stuff. They're upset and they cry out because the Midianites have taken their stuff. And that's what they're upset about. So what I want us to notice this morning is this is going to take a little bit different course than it has taken in the past. Because in the past, Israel would become unfaithful, they would become oppressed, and then God would send, they would cry out, and then God would send a deliverer. This time, they're going to become unfaithful, they're going to become oppressed, they're going to cry out, and God's not sending the deliverer right away. First off, He's going to send a prophet. In Judges 6, in verse 1, it says that Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. The verses in between there explain that they had been unfaithful. God allowed them to be oppressed. It was one of the worst oppressions that they had experienced thus far. And now they're crying out because they're losing their stuff to the Midianites. And so they cry out expecting God to send a deliverer, but this time God says, it's not going to be that way. Verses 8 through 10. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God's response this time. He sends a prophet before he's going to send a deliverer. See, what God is saying is before we go any further, we got to see what the real problem is going on around here. The real problem is not that the Midianites are taking your stuff. The real problem is you and not being faithful to the covenant. And so before you can appreciate being rescued, you've got to understand why you need rescued. So God wants them to understand where their actions have led them. God wants them to understand where their idolatry has led them. God wants them to understand where their sin has led them. And so God wants to convict these people so that they might truly repent 
And so in verses 6 and 7, it suggests that they are crying out, but God doesn't immediately respond by sending a deliverer. So you know what that's telling us in verses 6 and 7? That when they cry out, and God doesn't immediately respond with a deliverer, what that tells us is, God knows that their crying out is just superficial. They're not crying out because they've been unfaithful. They're crying out because they're losing their stuff. And you know what happens if God sends a deliverer and they once again have their stuff? They don't change. They just go right back to doing the same old thing that they've been doing before. So in verses 9 and 10, I want you to notice. He says, I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. You know what God's saying here? <laughs> He's saying, time out. He goes, you need to connect the dots. You're crying out because these Midianites are oppressing you and taking your stuff. I want you to think about this. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You know what he's saying? <laughs> you ran off with them. You became unfaithful. You chased their gods. I delivered you from the Egyptians. I took these people and drove them out and gave you their land. I am the Lord your God. But yet you have not been faithful to me. And now you cry out because they're taking your stuff. Can you connect the dots? If you had stayed with me, they wouldn't be taking your stuff. And so now if I give you your stuff back, who are you going to serve? And are you going to change your ways? And so before they go any further, God wants them to see their faults. And He wants them to see the consequences of their faults. So He knows that their cries... It's not the cries of repentance. It's the cries of regret. And there's a difference between regret and repentance. Let me give you another illustration. A number of years back, when you used to get a paper on your driveway on Sunday morning, and you go out there, open it up, and there was the various sections. There was the headlines, and there was the business, and there was the sports, and then there was a comic page. 
So after you read the headlines and got depressed, then you had the comic page to kind of cheer you up, I guess. There was a man by the name of Charles Schultz. Heard of him. And he had a comic strip, Peanuts. Remember that? And some of the characters in there was Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and that whole gang. Know them? One of the things that used to happen was Lucy would hold the football for Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown would run at that football and he would swing his leg and just right at the point of no return, Lucy would yank the football away. Charlie Brown's leg would fly up in the air. He would miss that football and splat right flat of his back on the ground. In this particular comic strip, Lucy is begging Charlie Brown to kick the football, and Charlie Brown is refusing. (laughs) But she continues to beg him, Charlie Brown, why don't you kick the football? No, because every time I try, you yank the football away. So finally, Lucy, with tears in her eyes, said, Charlie Brown, I know I shouldn't have done that. But won't you give a poor girl another chance, Charlie Brown? And Charlie Brown, being kind of tenderhearted, says, Okay, Lucy, I'll give you another chance. So she holds the football And Charlie Brown runs at it and he swings his leg and right at that moment, she yanks the football out. Charlie Brown flies up in the air and splat, flat of his back. He's lying there and she looks at him and and she says, recognizing your faults and actually changing your ways is two different things, Charlie Brown. And she walks off. That's true. Recognizing your faults, that's one thing. Changing your ways, that's another thing. See, that's why God sends the prophet before he sends the deliverer. Israel, what's the problem here? You've got to recognize your faults. And you need to change your ways. See, sometimes regret is brought on because you recognize you're losing something. And so Israel regretted that the Midianites were taking their stuff. They just weren't quite ready to recognize their faults. God wanted Israel to repent. To see their faults, the consequences of their actions, and then change their ways. So what God was trying to do was to get them to see, I don't want to just fix the problem. I want to fix you. That's what he's trying to get them to see. So in verses 9 and 10, he reminds them, I delivered you out of Egypt. I drove out your enemies. I gave you this land. And I said, I am your God. 
Do not fear their gods. But he says, you have not obeyed my voice. You know what God's trying to get him to see? You're worried about what you're losing. You need to see who you're about to lose and the relationship you're about to lose. And so what God is after is a change from within. Judges chapter 6 at verse 11. Now, notice, the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed out wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. See what's going on here? So now Gideon is in this wine press and he's threshing out wheat and now God sends this angel and he calls him almighty man of valor and tells him that the Lord is with them. Now Gideon has a little bit difficult time wrapping his mind around this. If the Lord is with us, then why are we in this situation? Can you see that Gideon has not connected the dots? So the angel says, the Lord's with you. And Gideon is confused about this. If the Lord's with us, why is all this happening? And see, sometimes we think just like Gideon is thinking. If the Lord's with us, then why are we going through these difficult times? And sometimes we forget to stop and think, maybe the Lord is allowing this to happen. See, sometimes we can't get a perspective on our own hearts. And so when we're in difficult situations like that, and we're trying to figure out why we're going through difficult times? Am I just regretting? Or have I truly thought and thinking, I need to repent of something I've done? And am I sorry for what I've done? So Gideon's asking this question. If the Lord's with us, then why are all these things happening? And he thinks the Lord has forsaken them. And the angel's going to point out to him, no, the Lord's going to deliver Israel through you. And we'll get to that in just a moment. 
But we need to think about how that all unfolds. And still what God is after. And what he's trying to get them to understand. In Matthew the 4th chapter. In verse 17. It says from that time Jesus began to preach saying. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus begins to preach. It says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke the 13th chapter in verse 3. He's going to say, unless you, all, unless you all repent, you shall all likewise perish. So as Jesus begins his ministry, the demand that he's making on everyone is that they should repent. And so he's looking for a change to take place with inside. And Jesus commands that that takes place. So it's when we come to the New Testament and we take a look at Jesus' preaching, take a look at John's preaching, Peter's preaching. Repentance is an internal change of the heart and of the mind and of the will. There's a Greek word, metaneo. Meta refers to change. It refers to movement. Neo refers to the mind, to the thoughts, to perceptions, the disposition, the purposes. And as one writer suggests, the basic meaning is it's a change of the heart, of the emotions, of the mind, and of the will in regards to sin. And so when Jesus comes preaching, he says, repent that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Luke 13, he says, unless you repent, you're going to perish. So what's Jesus saying? There has got to be a change of the heart. There's got to be a change of the mind. There's got to be a change of the will. There's got to be a change of perception. There's got to be a change of disposition. And he commands it. Demands it. Over in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, about verses 9 and 10. When Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, he's talking about a previous letter he, that he had sent them in regards to their actions and desiring for them to repent. And he says, I was sorry that I made you sorry. So what Paul was saying is, I kind of hate it that you had to go through that. But I had to do it. He said, but I'm not sorry that you were made sorry with a godly sorrow. Because he said, godly sorrow, godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. Here's repentance. Here's what Jesus is commanding. He's demanding that internally there has got to be a change of the mind, of the emotions, of the will, 
of the perspective, of the purposes. It has got to change because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we talked about it in class this morning, right? That God knows which buttons to push to get the change that He's looking for, that He desires. This is what I'm after. I'm after repentance. I'm after a change of the mind and the will, the emotions, your purposes, your life. I want to change. So Paul says, godly sorrow you had to come to understand what was wrong. Judges the sixth chapter. Before God sends a deliverer, He first sends a prophet. He sends a sermon. We've got to understand what the problem is here. It's not the Midianites taking your stuff. <laughs> You've not been faithful. I am the Lord who delivered you from Egypt. I drove these people out. We had a covenant, a relationship. But you have not obeyed my voice. That's the problem. You're destroying the relationship. And while you're worried about what you're about or you're losing, you got to understand who you're about to lose. So Paul says Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Luke, the third chapter. John the Baptist is preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins and demanding repentance. And so they come out and then they start asking him, what must we do? And he says, bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Now once again, we need to see what's taking place. Here's repentance. Here's a change of the mind and the heart and the will and the emotions and your purposes. And Paul says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. You know what that is? You ever heard anybody use this expression? I had that come to Jesus moment. You ever heard that? It finally dawned on me. It's me. <laughs> the problem. That's what the problem is. A change of the heart. A change of the mind. A change of the will. A change of the emotions. I've been focused on this. And this was what I was concerned about. And now I realize I've come to this moment. And now I'm going to change. So John says, bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance takes place and then as a result, it's a change 
in life. And that's what John's talking about. It's a process. It's a step. And that's what God is trying to get Israel to see. Let me show you how Jesus viewed repentance because he tells the story of the prodigal son in Luke, the 15th chapter. And he viewed it like this. Jesus tells the story of this young man that comes to his father and says that he wants his inheritance and his father gives it to him. And then this young man sets off into a far country. And Jesus said where he wasted his possessions in reckless living. His older brother adds to that in verse 30. And he says, He devoured your wealth with prostitutes. So you put those together. He wasted, he devoured life and possessions with reckless living. They were squandered, wasted. But when the prodigal decides to come home, it says when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, He said, I will get up and I will go home. And I will tell my father, I have sinned before heaven and in your sight. What did he say? Those people down there, they took my stuff. So I'm back home to see if I can get some more stuff. That's not what he said, was it? No, he come home and he said, I sinned before heaven and in your sight. Godly sorrow had led him and now he's going to bear fruit in accordance with repentance. You see that? And so Jesus explains it like that. And that's what God wanted Israel to see. They were squandering, wasting the opportunity that they had with God. And they were worried about what they were losing, not who they were losing. Luke, the 11th chapter in verse 4, Jesus explains it a little bit further like this. When he's teaching his disciples to pray. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us. So what Jesus is saying is, and he's comparing, sins are like a debt. They're like a debt. Sin dishonors. And it dishonors God. And it puts us in debt to Him. God made us. We're created in His image. We are to be a reflection of Him. 
And when we are not, we dishonor. We haven't rendered to Him what He is due. And we owe Him that. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like a debt. But the problem with that is, once we do that, we have no way to make up for that. That's a debt that we owe that we can't pay. How do you go back and undo that? You already did. So Jesus pays that debt. Mark 10 and verse 45. Son of man came to give his life a ransom for many. Pay that debt. And enjoying that gift, recognizing that, we begin to see things differently. And it's a change of the heart. It's a change of the mind. Change of the will, the emotions, the purposes, the perspective. And we say, I dishonored. I can't repay. And Jesus paid that price for me. So I can be forgiven of that debt. That debt can be forgiven. And now, I want to live differently. I want to honor Him. There was a time I didn't, and now I want to. Now here's the problem. Even when we recognize that, we also recognize that even if we become Christians, we still sin. So now I got a new debt. So John tells us over in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. See what I said? Jesus died to pay that price of the debt that I owe. But I recognize as a Christian I'm not perfect. But John says, if you're striving, if you're walking in the light, the blood of his son will continue to cleanse, to pay that debt. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let me coin a phrase. Explain this, not meaning to be disrespectful, but maybe to help us understand. You know what that's saying? What John is saying is as a Christian, he recognizes that we sin. But he'll still pay that debt for us. So what he's saying is... If you're trying 
I'm buying. But if you quit trying, I'm no longer buying. The Hebrew writer says, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Can we see that? But if I'm striving and I'm confessing and I'm trying, he says, I'll pay that debt. But if you just quit, I don't pay the debt for that. Judges 10, he said, you've not obeyed my voice. And when Jesus came, he demanded repentance. I'm going to tell you something else that Paul said over Romans, the second chapter, because we need to understand so that we understand what takes place in Judges chapter 6. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says, the goodness of God leads to repentance. Second Corinthians 7. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Luke 13 and verse 3. Unless you repent, you shall perish. There's the threat of judgment. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. The idea that I'm going to be judged if I don't repent is motivation for repentance. And Paul says in Romans 2, the goodness of God leads to repentance. Godly sorrow, judgment, goodness of God all lead to repentance. Change of the heart. Change of the mind. Change of the will. God knows how to push the buttons to get the result He wants. So now then, God's grace and repentance. I want you to notice once again, Judges 6, chapter, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Isn't that interesting? Verse 7, they are crying out because of the Midianites. Verse 8, God sends a prophet. And now in verse 14, he says, you're going to save. Have they repented yet? I, I didn't see that, did you? Didn't say that, did it? So what's God doing? In verse 12, the angel of the Lord told Gideon, the Lord is with you. Verse 14, go in this might of yours. The Lord's with you. And you will save Israel. So what's that saying? 
That's what it's saying. God doesn't wait for us to repent before He starts to save us. See, Romans 5 and verse 8, Paul said it this way. God demonstrates His love towards us that while we were yet sinners, God sent His Son to die for us. Can you see that? He doesn't wait until you repent and then I'll send my son. No, I want you to see that I have sent my son. And you know what? Because you need to repent. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. The threat of judgment leads to repentance. So in Judges 6, what that's saying is, you've cried out because of the Midianites. You regret losing this. But what you need to understand, who you're about to lose. And you need to repent. But while I'm waiting for you to repent, I'm going to send a deliverer. And this is motivation for you to repent. To see the goodness and the graciousness of God. In Judges 6, God is not compromising His standard because He says, You have not obeyed My voice. But what they're missing is, it's not what you're losing, it's who you're going to lose. And so in Mark, the first chapter, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. They needed to understand of their sins. They needed to understand what God was doing for them. And that was the motivation for them to do what Jesus commanded. And so in Judges 6, that's what God's doing with Israel. So he sends a sermon before he sends salvation. When I extend the invitation this morning and encourage you if you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ why not do that this very day it's his love it's his graciousness but Jesus also said if you deny me I'll deny you before my father which is in heaven if we can help you make your relationship with the Lord right this morning you let us know while together we stand and while we sing